I received a call recently asking if I would support a man, John Gibbs, endorsed by Dr. Ben Carson in his candidacy for Congress. First, let me share that Dr. Carson was endorsing in his personal capacity, as is the right of every American. His views are his own and in no way reflective of any organization he may represent. But when I hear that a great American, such as Dr. Carson, is supporting a candidate for Congress, I'm intrigued for sure. I looked him up and found that John Gibbs is also endorsed by President Trump. He has a technology background, having worked as an, at Apple right as they developed the first iPhone. He speaks fluent Japanese. He served as a Christian missionary to Japan, and he was the Assistant Secretary of HUD under Dr. Carson. He's visiting the Economic War Room today, and I can say that I see why Dr. Carson's endorsed him. But even better, we have Dr. Carson in person with him. Welcome to you both. Well, thank you. It's so nice to be with you again, and so good to be with you, John. John was uh, a lifesaver at HUD because, uh, you know, in any big federal agency, there are shifts and things that occur. And uh, sometimes they leave a pretty big hole. And uh, John was what we call the utility player. Uh, whenever a hole occurred, he could fill it. Uh, he was just that good. He was very smart, could become an expert in a, in a week on just about wow. anything. And, uh, you know, that's hard for me to say because I'm a Yale and he went to Harvard. But uh, <laughs> it really does make a difference. And this is exactly the kind of individual that we need in Congress right now. We need people who are thinking people, not people who are ideologues but people who can analyze the issues, analyze the facts, look at the data, and make important decisions. Uh, you know, a lot of the trouble that we've gotten into recently is because we don't have people who think. We're just people who blindly follow the leader. And uh, that's not good for our country. That's not the way our system was designed. And uh, I think John will make a big difference. Uh, and you know, thinking about what are the things that affect the people? What are the people concerned about? They're concerned about inflation, gas prices, their food bill. Uh, they're concerned about the crime mm -hmm. and the drugs and the trafficking, and all of these things that are happening to our country. And, you know, we have people who just, uh, yeah, well, that's not really a problem. Uh, the border is actually really sealed. There's, there's no problem there. I, I mean, it's, it's like they're saying to people, don't believe your eyes and your ears or your heart. Just listen to us. We'll tell you what you're supposed to think. But surprise, surprise, the American people are smarter than that. And I just don't think it's going to work. Yeah. Well, John, how did you get here? You worked for Dr. Carson, but you've got all this other history. How, how, what... How did you get to be a leading contender for Congress, the future congressman from Grand Rapids? Sure. Well, thanks, Kevin, for having me on, and thank you, Dr. Carson, for those uh, great words. It was absolutely wonderful. There's no words to describe what it was like working for you, sir. And there's so many uh, people in D.C. who are there for their own agenda or all kinds of other stuff, but Dr. Carson is someone who really cares about the country and has basic American common sense. So I'm just really uh, thankful that I have had the chance to work with you, sir. So. Thank you. Um, well, I try to do the Alvin and the Chipmunks version, but I was born and raised in Michigan, of course. And uh, after high school, I left and went out to do my undergrad in California. I was a computer geek, so I knew I wanted to do computer science. So I majored in computer science at Stanford, 
I also studied Japanese on the side while at Stanford. And um, after graduation, I stayed out there in Silicon Valley and worked as a software engineer at several different companies in Silicon Valley. I started at a small cybersecurity startup first. We got acquired by Symantec, became part of Symantec. Um, after a while of doing that, I went to work for Palm. If you remember the Palm Pilot. I do. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I worked on the Palm Trio, the smartphone version of that. So did that for a few years. And then I heard a rumor that Apple was going to make a phone. And this was before the iPhone had come out. And so I said, that's intriguing. Let me check it out. So I went to their website. Sure enough, they were recruiting through an application. And because I was already a phone engineer at the time, I guess it was a good match and I got the offer. And so I went to work for Apple on the very first version of the iPhone before it came out. And so I was writing software to test the functionality of the iPhone. Really enjoyed that opportunity. It was great to work under Steve Jobs there. But then um, at the church I was going to at the time, there was a class on world missions. And I said, I'm hooked. I got to do this. I already spoke Japanese, having studied that in college right. and having studied abroad there in college. And Japan is less than 1% Christian, the least Christian country in the world. So I said, there's a great need there. I've got to go there and, and be a part of this. So I uh, ended up applying with the mission I went with. And uh, you raise all your own money and go around to all the churches and ask them to support you. And God provided that and went over to Japan for several years as a missionary over there doing many different ministries, outreach to men, homeless ministries, etc. Those are two amazing careers already, and you're still <laughs> a very young man at this point. I, I guess so, yes. Uh, so after doing that for a few years, and this is um, when uh, Mr. Obama was president, I said, wow, we've got trouble. The guy at the top in our country is really taking things downhill. I better learn how to get involved in this public policy stuff so I can uh, you know, make a difference there and switch my mission field, as it were. So I ended up leaving Japan as a missionary and going over to the Harvard Kennedy School, getting my master in public administration over there which I really enjoyed, even though it's so far left over there, it'd make Obama look like Reagan almost. <laughs> wow. um, but I enjoyed it. I had fun mixing it up with people and uh, uh, talking with the students and sharing the viewpoint that they don't get to hear very often, uh, just basic American common sense. So I really enjoyed that opportunity. Through that, um, I met a friend who was working for Dr. Carson, and uh, we uh, hit it off, and I said, do you think we can try to get me in administration or something? So we got the process going, and I began in our administration under Dr. Carson at HUD. Uh, in May of 2017, and uh, you know, the, I was there until the very end. And wonderful experience is fighting for what's right, basic common sense, families. Dr. Carson always talked about families. Children raised to married two parent homes have the best outcomes, whether it comes to crime, performance in school, or anything else. And the success sequence uh, get married, graduate high school, get married, and have kids after you get married. You follow that sequence, you have less than a 2% chance of becoming poor. I really love that Dr. Carson focused on that and wanted to re have that reflected in all of our policies because so few people will actually have the courage to step up and, and do that. So. And it was interesting that, you know, John came in, in 2017 and immediately became a superstar uh, because he was so good at writing policy and putting things down in a logical sequence and everybody recognized that. So. Uh, it was a great contribution that you made to your country. Yeah, that was, well, we're gonna to need to take a break. When we come back, let's talk about some of the great opportunities that we see in America and how you're gonna make a difference as a congressman. Now, Dr. Carson, you, you've known John a while and, and you've endorsed him. What are some of the obstacles you see for him getting into Congress? Well, first of all, a lot of times people vote based on name recognition. And we've got to teach people how to vote. 
they go in and they look at the ballot and they say, I know that name. It could be Satan. I'll take that name. In some cases it is. And, uh, you know, so we've got to get people to actually look at what people believe. And is that, is that uh, consistent with their own belief system? But, uh, you know, he's making great inroads in Michigan with that. He, his, uh, his opponent has a name that is extremely well known in Michigan, uh, Myers, because of the stores that they have. Yeah, it's well known nationally. Yeah, well known. And, uh, but I think if people go back and look at his voting record and look at the policies that he advocates, uh, they would probably not be so enamored with the name. But this is what we have to get people to do because you know, not just in this race, but across the nation. You know, when Benjamin Franklin came out of the Constitutional Convention and a woman said, what do we have here, a republic or a monarchy? He said, a republic if we can keep it. Well, keeping it means that the people have to be well-educated. They have to be informed. They have to be responsible. And uh, that's something that I think we really need to emphasize very strongly uh, as November is coming up and it's something that I will be pushing people very hard to do. Well, elections matter. They truly do. Uh, John, you're, you, I hope and believe that you're going to be the next congressman from a very, you know, a very historic area. Grand Rapids, you've had, we've had a president from there and, you know, just an amazing place. Uh, Tell me, what is it that you want to do day one in Congress? We've got to start tackling inflation. It's hurting people materially, especially working class people and also middle class people. Anyone who has a job that depends on driving is being hit so hard by this, and it was completely preventable. This was caused by a terrible policy coming out of the White House and enabled by Congress of shutting down our own energy exploration domestically, shutting down the Keystone Pipeline, just taking uh, so many measures to make it harder for us to have energy independence. So we've got to work on this from day one. We had energy independence. That's right. We, had it. Exactly we threw right. it away. Yes. So that's, that's a huge issue we've got to look at. Then it's not just gas prices, but overall inflation. Um, by the huge money printing we see happening, uh, Biden's omnibus bill that he passed back in March, which my opponent voted for, one of a small number of Republicans that sadly voted for that, enabling this massive spending. Um, there are so many places one can start, but I think having leadership on any of the issues that we see today, even something like critical race theory, we can be a strong voice on that, and then we can also look at what we can do federally in terms of funding or other things to uh, nudge states in the right direction there, too. So there's just a wide array of um, different areas that we can step up immediately on day one. And you look at, you look at the way that that energy policy energized and empowered Putin. Yes. Because I don't think he would have done what he did if we hadn't given him the keys. That's right. So you can, you can see how those kinds of uh, extremely poor decision-making uh, affects the whole world. Well, including after that, we not only did we help Putin by getting higher energy prices, cutting down America's ability to, to develop our own energy, but we're releasing from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, and some of it's going to, to China. China. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's almost surreal. I mean, you say, we're in an alternate universe where wrong is right and right is wrong and stupid is wise and wise is stupid. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. And the, the real question is, you know, can we last long enough with this kind of leadership? I mean, 
fortunately, we had a very strong base to start from economically. And hopefully that will sustain us for another two and a half. Well, we took some body blows with COVID, and now we're taking body blows with bad policies. And we don't even have a Congress at present that will investigate any. They're, they're investigating nonsense and not looking into really these things that are hurting Americans. Absolutely. And that's one of the things we can do, God willing, if we get in there in November, is start looking at some of this stuff and having hearings on some of these issues that are hurting everybody. It doesn't matter what side one is on. No one wants to have $6 gas prices. Uh, that's a nonpartisan thing. So there's lots we can look at in terms of investigations. I'll, I'll say one thing. We say no one wants that, but that's not true. The Biden administration wants high gas prices. They told us that going in. This is a part of the Green New Deal. They want to force Americans to their agenda and not let the free market economy rule. But I'll tell you, a wise person, and John is one of them, won't absolutely say to them, that's stupid, green energy is not desirable, because it is desirable. Renewable energy is desirable. But you don't get rid of fossil fuels and the tremendous good that they're doing for us right now, which is digging a deeper hole and making it even longer before we have renewable energy. So you learn how to work together. You say, let's use what we have to get what we want. Absolutely. And you do it in a logical way. Totally agree. What you don't want to do, though, is to make the average American middle class and lower class pay the burden so that you can get your political agenda forced through in a government way, like Soliandra. You want beautiful technologists. You want American ingenuity. You want uh, the free market to determine and create opportunities. Government-led programs don't tend to work. Yes, and our senator from Michigan, Debbie Stabenow, when recently asked, what do you think about high gas prices, said, just have an electric car. Well, the average price for an electric car is something like 50-something thousand dollars. The average person in Michigan can in no wise begin to afford that. So um, uh, fortunately, she was in, in outer space. But as Dr. Carson said uh, very effectively, look, we don't want to make drastic decisions here. Let's have American ingenuity, free markets, innovation, uh, create cleaner energy, and then get it on the market that way through competition and not just getting rid of uh, coal and gasoline overnight, but uh, opening things up and letting the market uh, produce that innovation that Americans always do. Yeah, the, the my way or the highway philosophy doesn't work in a diverse society. And uh, basically, we've had an administration come in and say, no, this is the way it's got to be, and I don't care what you think. At a minimum, let's have the higher oil prices benefit American energy producers instead of Vladimir Putin, right. because we've emboldened him, and now we have to pay for a war on the other side. And, and we're giving him billions of dollars. He's making a billion dollars a day. <laughs> I mean, he's sitting back and enjoying life and said, those fools are, are empowering me and they don't even know it. Well, we're going to need to take another break. When we come back, we'll talk some more solutions and we'll talk about what it's going to be like for you when you start in Congress. I'm here with two brilliant men. I'm here with Dr. Ben Carson and John Gibbs. Uh, they're wonderful Christians. I, I love both of you. I got to spend some time with you recently. And Dr. Carson, we've known you for a while. How do we make for a better America? You two talk, and I want to listen. Well, you know, th the ingredients are already there. We've had them from the beginning. If we look at our founding documents, and uh, they tell us that we have certain inalienable rights that were granted to us by our creator, and uh, 
we had values and principles that made a difference. And we taught children in school the difference between right and wrong. We taught people to respect each other and to help each other. And it seems to me as if we're moving away from all of those things. And love your neighbor, not cancel your neighbor right. if they don't agree with you. Yes. I mean, just a, a, a typical example. Absolutely, sir. I totally agree. We have the basic ingredients there. We have freedom. We have respect for the basic rights that God gave us. Um, families, I think we need very strong families. That's something that's been disintegrating over the recent decades. And I think that uh, at the congressional level even, we've got to really look at ways we can empower families instead of uh, just chop the people off at the knees. Because if you get, if you're a single person, for example, and then you get married, your combined income now often takes you over the threshold. So you lose your benefits. And so we're actually incentivizing people not to get married in many cases, as we often discussed at HUD. Yeah. So I think we've got to look at families as part of the solution too. So yeah, um, the basic American ingenuity is there. It's in the people. Well, we can produce pretty much anything and make it really, really well. Mm -hmm. If the government would just let go a little bit and let people do their thing that's already there and that's already inside of us, I think we'll see some real growth like we've had under uh, President Trump. And, continue that trend. That's from a man, by the way, who was at the beginning of the iPhone, right? Think of the trillions of dollars of industry and development that's come from that one simple invention. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I'm actually optimistic for one, for more than one reason, but one of the things that really makes me optimistic is when I was running for president, traveling to all the little hamlets and towns and places like North Dakota and Mississippi, there are a lot of people in this country who have common sense, who are decent people. Not so much in DC, <laughs> but uh, you know, in other places. But maybe we can start changing that trend, John. Yes, absolutely. Bring, bring some, some real common sense. And it's not just common sense, it's courage. You have to have courage. You have to be willing to stand up. Sometimes you're the only one standing up in the beginning. But then that draws other people and they begin to recognize that they're not the only ones who feel this way. And uh, I think you cannot be the land of the free if you're not in the home of the brave. Mm -hmm. You've got to be willing to stand up. And I know John will do that. Absolutely. In my travels around our district, just as Dr. Carson was saying, the great Americans out there are wonderful. It is really excellent just to see regular folks, uh, see their support, see their encouragement and their prayers. And to me, that's kind of recharging to be able to just be around our, our great folks out there. And that is what gives me the strength to be able to go into a situation like what uh, I mean, I'm going into and to be able to stand up and have the courage to fight, not fighting in a reckless way, but fighting in a principled, courageous way to stand up for what's right. And so when I remember all those people I've met all around our district who tell me they're praying for me, they're supporting me, and um, you know, they have my you know, picture on the, on the refrigerator and that reminds them to pray for me and things. It's just wonderful to... Uh, to always think of that, and that is who we're fighting for, why, why we're fighting, the, our great folks all around the country. So that for me is a, is a great thing to always keep in mind as I go about doing this. One thing I really like about you is you're not at all a politician. You're not a politician either. Please, we, I never want to be one. We have great conversation. We had a great talk at dinner last night, and I saw that Michigan values and Texas values are very similar because they're American values. And that's what, you know, we, we're seeing such a division, red state, blue state, and all this. But actually, you get to the real people, and you talk outside the political talking points, and I just, you know, we're, we're fighting for the same stuff. 
Yeah, absolutely. That's something I've noticed as well when traveling around. And we have a great people and a great culture. The uh, left and Hollywood and whatnot, they don't want to say it. They only want to attack and point out the faults and you know this and this, that. Yeah, every country on earth should remember those things that it needs to fix going forward in the future. But there's also a good side too. And our country has got the greatest upside to it because that's why everyone wants to come here. Uh, so I think it's really important for us to always remember there is basic American values that most folks hold across the country. And uh, that's why we're doing what we're doing. And that's really the backbone of our country. And we have to remember that the people on the left, they're not necessarily evil people. It's just that they have a very different concept of what we're supposed to be, of what America is supposed to be. And it does not resemble what our founders put forth that became such a great country in a record amount of time. They don't understand why America is exceptional. They don't understand that we're the exception to the rule. We don't believe in collectivism. We believe in individual liberty. We believe in individual opportunity. We don't believe in having somebody else tell us what to do all the time. Well, I can't imagine a better endorsement pair for you than Dr. Carson and, and Donald Trump. I mean, for, for somebody running on the Republican ticket, I'm really impressed. Well, when it comes to economics, that's your man. Yeah, <laughs> and, and yet that's not your background. You've just got this clear ability to think. Well, thank you so much, I appreciate that. I'm kind of a nerd in some sense, so I like to dig into the numbers and see, where, see what the truth shows us. But I, I really appreciate your support. Um, you're doing a great work here, it's just excellent. Uh, and I'm glad we have people like you that are doing what you're doing, standing up, speaking out, getting the good news and the good word out to people. So I really appreciate that, it means a lot to me. Well, I, I thank you both for being here. I know you've got to move on to the next event, but God bless you both. This is an opportunity in this election to put people in Congress who understand American values, who understand the economic war we're facing. And we are in an economic war. What others, what we see as a marketplace, our enemies see as a battle space. And others are trying to distract us. They're not looking at inflation. They're not looking at the real issues facing the American people. Uh, this candidate, John Gibbs, he's looking at the right stuff. Really excited about what he's gonna do when he hits Congress. Well, we have an opportunity to make a change and do something right for America. You can get all of this information in our free economic battle plan at economicwarroom.com. This is Kevin Freeman from the Economic War Room.